and welcome to Wild Women, the Wild Swimming Podcast. I'm Laura McDonald. How are you all? I hope you've had an enjoyable swim since we last spoke. There's nothing else doing here. I've been nowhere and done nothing, as is the way of things these days. But there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, though. We should be allowed to travel again by the end of April, so I am on the countdown to a sea swim. I am so excited. I only had one saltwater swim last year, and that is nowhere near the right amount. I mean, I love fresh water, don't get me wrong, but a bit of variety is all I am after. Right, I've just got a few wee notices before we get to our lovely guest for the episode. Please like and follow Wild Women Pod on Facebook and Instagram. You can share your swim stories and photos with the show. And if you tag the show directly or use the hashtag Wild Women on Instagram, then I will share your photos on my stories for my Cheer Up Tuesday slot. Tuesdays are the furthest point I have from a swim, and it also happens to be the day that I tend to get most of the housework done, so please ping me your happy, splashy faces to cheer up my day. If you have a second, can you please also leave a review? If you hit the kite link for the show in my Facebook or Instagram bio, there is a little review button for you. It's as easy as I can make it. It, This kind of interaction from you really helps to boost the show up the podcast charts, which will help others to find it. Speaking of helping others to find it, if you could also hit the share button, I would be eternally grateful. If you like it, there is a chance that your swim buddies might like it too. I've got some really interesting episodes coming up about campaigns that are happening that affect swimmers. And I think it might get a lot of us riled up. So please make sure not to miss it and please share it with your friends. If you're enjoying Wild Women and want to support it directly, then please visit my Patreon. For as little as £3 a month, you can directly support the podcast which will allow me to improve, interview more amazing swimmers and bring their experiences directly into your ear holes. Three pounds is less than a glossy magazine and I carry far fewer adverts. In fact, in the near future, my Patreon members will experience no adverts whatsoever, whereas the rest of you will be hearing from some friendly brands about their gorgeous wares. Right, today's guest is the lovely Jo Jones, athlete, coach and riddle ponderer. We get into her swimming evolution, her epic peer-to-peer swim, supportive swimwear, and the importance of thinking about food. I'm Jo. Let's keep it short. It's easier to shout over long distances. Fair enough. And I always ask... Where are you on the great scale of wild swimmers? Are you a dipper, a swimbler, serious swimmer or athlete? Oh, um, of the four you've given me, I, I'm i probably a different swimmer on different days, but I probably would consider myself an athlete most of the time. I've done some swims which are, I, I think are quite impressive um, and I enjoy training and I enjoy the competition side of things, but I'm equally happy eating cake. And just doing it for fitness. I like all of them, but I think at a push, I would be an athlete. I think that's safe to say, (laughs) just sort of looking at your record, because you have done some big swims. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not sure. It's it's a weird thing that now I've done them. They don't seem that big anymore. But when I remember them, I'm like, actually, that was quite, that's a long way. That is a big swim. But I think in my head, and particularly when you're in the community of people that have done these swims, they're kind of normal-ish. Like the channel swimming, I, I know quite a lot of people in the channel swimming community. Therefore, swimming the channel is kind of like a Monday morning kind of thing. It's like, okay, yeah. And it is it's also an incredible thing. But I, I have to come to sometimes remind myself of that because I can easily not. I think you need to appreciate that 
certainly for the rest of us, that's a ma- like swimming the channel is a massive achievement. So when did you swim the channel? I swam. I've, I, I've swum the channel. Actually, if you count relays as well, I've swum it twice. So I, I did a relay when I was 16. And after doing a relay when I was 16, because I did, um, I got into outdoor swimming because of my dad. And he, him and some friends were doing a relay and asked me if I wanted to join. And I found out on that swim that I really don't like boats and I get quite seasick. So on the way back, I decided that I would probably enjoy the swim more if I didn't get on the boat every few hours. So I decided to go from a six-person relay to doing it on my own. So I, I swam the channel when I was 24. So five years ago this year, four years ago this year. Fantastic. And you've got some other big titles under your belt as well, haven't you? Tell me about Bristol. Yeah, so um, I, I like doing swims that are have like an emotional connotation. So I did the English Channel because I'd done it as a relay and my uncle had done it. And it was just like the big swim. I thought the English Channel was the only big swim in the world and therefore I'd do it and be done with swimming. Yeah, that didn't happen. And then I, a couple of years later, I met my, my partner, my husband, who lives in Bristol and from some random Facebook. I think it was like a history of Bristol, history of Cardiff kind of post thing that comes up. There was an article about a lady who swam the Bristol Channel and I went, that's amazing. She basically decided to do it. Her name was Kathleen Thomas because men said it couldn't be done and men tried and couldn't do it. And I just love the tenacity of being like, you know, people say it's impossible. Let's see it. Like, and, and people have failed before. I'm going to try it. And she did it. And then the second person to do it was a 16 year old girl who again went, I don't want men telling me what I can't do. Okay. She sounded fantastic, right? I needed to know her name, so I looked her up. And honestly, her story is so much more cool and feminist and awesome and sad than you might have guessed. As a teenager, Edith Gertrude Parnell was already known as a distance swimmer, and she supported other young women on their attempts to swim the Bristol Channel. On the 15th of August 1929, aged only 16, she became only the second person to complete the Bristol Channel swim, swimming from Penarth to Western Supermare in 10 hours and 15 minutes. She remains the youngest person to ever have made the crossing. Now, she did not just kick arse in the water. She was also the first woman reporter for the Reuters news agency in Paris and London, and the first woman editor of a Sunday newspaper. She was later the editorial manager of Hyam's advertising agency. She attended a convention for the Advertising Federation in Boston in 1936 and was the only woman delegate at the convention. She died on the 13th of November, 1938, aged 25, after complications from a caesarean section. Like I said, awesome and kick-ass and sad. Can you imagine what she would have done if she'd got past 25 years of age? Unbelievable woman. Where were we? Bristol Channel. Right, off you go, Joe. And I just love the whole thing of just setting yourself an outlandish task, even if it's kind of impossible, and just doing it. So I tried to find out information about it and there wasn't a lot because it hasn't been done that many times. It's been done, I think I'm the 21st person to swim it, which in swimming terms is not a lot, particularly when there's four different routes. So there is four different swim swim crossings that have been done before. Yeah, four different crossings that have been done before or each of them are different lengths, tidal, interesting quirks. Um, so I'm actually, I think, the first woman to do my route and also the fastest, which is the funder. I'd say so. Obviously, some of us have got an idea of how far the English Channel is, but how big is the Bristol Channel swim? So, or your route of it anyway? Yeah, so the Bristol Channel is, it's the River Seven estuary. So it kind of does the funnel bit 
between England and Wales. So the route I did was 20 kilometers um, and I went from Penarth over to Clevedon. One of the considering factors for that route was that a book I read about it called An Epic Peer-to-Peer. And I really liked that. You start swimming from this juggernaut of a pier in Penarth that looks like it's out of a castle, like a fortress. And then you swim for five and a half hours or more and, and end up in Clevedon, which has this art deco green pier that's very pretty. And so I just like the idea of an epic pier to pier. So that was 20, 20 kilometers. The other ones are 16, 27, and then the long, big, fat one, which is from Ilfracum up to Swansea, which seemed like quite a long way. <laughs> <laughs> Although you do have a significant tidal range with you on that one, so you, you have a tide to help you because Bristol has such a significant tidal range. I don't think anyone yet, I know there's a guy doing it this summer, planning to do it this summer, but I don't think anyone's done more than one of the routes yet or done enough of them to compare. But I think because the Elfcombe Swansea one goes along and then across, you have the tide with you a bit, whereas the other three kind of do a straight as straight a line as possible in swimming. And the tide is slightly more precarious so yeah there is more than one way to swim the bristol channel now i think we need to go back to the beginning and ask joe about how she got into outdoor swimming in the first place swimming is just one of the things that my family sort of do so my dad swims a lot and so i did swimming lessons and then joined a swimming club same as him my uncle's a very good swimmer as well and he got into the channel swimming game i say game is lifestyle um so i remember being like 12 13 going down to the seaside with him with my dad him and some friends were doing a race in eastbourne or something and i wasn't allowed to stay at home on my own for like the whole day because i was 12 but i thought i could because i thought i was a total grown-up and so i pouted the entire drive down to eastbourne from kind of outskirts of london and just had the best day swimming in the sea like that was the first time I swam in the sea. And I was like, there are no walls. There's no one there with like a pace clock telling me how to swim or how fast to swim. I feel like I could explore anywhere where in reality you stayed by the shore. But I felt limitless. And then we got pizza and then we drove home. And I just, I loved that feeling of that I wasn't confined to a chlorine box that I'd done before in club training. In club training, I, I was kind of a good but not great swimmer. So if anyone that does club swimming, there are kind of different lanes in different squads. And so I got to like, the kind of top two tier squads there was one that was like for people that were getting nationals and that kind of thing and occasionally I'd train with them in the slow lane or I'd be in like the fitness squad (laughs) kind of thing and I'm not I'm not a slow swimmer but I'm not a qualifying time national swimmer and so I think if I hadn't found outdoor swimming which was something I just enjoyed I probably would have given up if I was chasing goals and titles and getting picked for relays and picked for galas and stuff I just liked pushing off the wall and like blowing bubbles underwater and doing front crawl. And so my love for swimming sustained it. And then I found outdoor swimming that I loved even more. And then I think around a similar time, David Walliams swam the English Channel. And so I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then I, like my uncle went and did it, the English Channel as well. And he just became my hero. It was just like, it was the coolest thing I'd ever heard anyone do. And I knew someone that had actually done it. Because <laughs> it was the transition of someone doing it that you recognize the name of to someone you know and you've had dinner with and you know is an actual person doing it if that makes any sense it's a little bit more within reach in that case yeah and the year after that was when we did our channel relay so we were training together so on Saturdays and Sundays me and my dad and my uncle um, would drive down to the beach early we'd we'd do the training in Dover Harbour and it just became like a family weekend thing like 
they do longer swims, like the solo people do longer swims and the relay people do shorter swims. And it was just the best thing. I've got to see people of all shapes and sizes swimming and all types of achievements being recognized. Whereas in the pool and in club, it was, are you fast kind of thing. You know, there's a lady called Jackie Cobell who swam the channel in 28 hours and has the record for the longest time taken for a channel swim. And I just find her phenomenal because the staying power and grit to have the sun go down and the sun come back up and still keep swimming is just phenomenal. And I remember having a chat with her and she just went, yeah, you get there when you get there. And I just love the tenacity of that. And I feel like in outdoor swimming, both speed and staying power are both equally kind of respected, as is swimming in rubbish weather and swimming fast and I just loved that and I think it was a really forming experience for me actually that seeing achievements and respect and value and just people achieving in different ways rather than are you fast or did you get this small narrow thing it was just like okay have you achieved your goal or how have you exceeded this norm and it was just amazing I hope you're all taking notes. I feel like we should get some really good motivational memes out of this chat. And yes, it's been a family thing, really. It kind of comes full circle, I guess. Probably because we planned it that way. That when I swam the English Channel myself, my uncle was my pilot. So he became a co-pilot and I booked with him because where else would I, was, where else was I going to go, let's be honest. It was a ph- you know, phenomenal track of the swim. Like I started at an amazing time. I've got a really nice curve. It's like a complete S shape. So I just followed the tide the whole way around. But what was really nice was um, when I swam into France and stood on French shores, I had my dad and my uncle swimming with me because you swim in front of them and then you have two support swimmers behind you. And so I got to like the biggest swim I've ever done. I had like the two most important people in my swim journey with me emotionally and sentimentally made me really happy obviously in terms of like it being an actually phenomenal swim and achievement I'm very proud of it as well but I think my main takeaway is that like it the English Channel is the reason I kind of got fascinated with outdoor swimming and yeah it's just nice to have that family memory and family picture on my wall so in terms of if you're putting your name down for one of the big events like the channel how do you go about getting prepared I think give yourself enough lead time to do it, I think is a big one for me. So when I did the English Channel, I booked it two years in advance. So in the summer of 2016, I swam the Lake Windermere, which is like half the distance. So I trained up for that, swam that, had a winter of swimming swimming in the pool, um, and then went back and kind of trained up again. So I had had two peaks of my training cycle. One of like the year before was half the distance. And that's kind of become my benchmark, really. And everyone will know what they've got in their tank and what is kind of achievable to them. So for me, a 10K was achievable. It was an achievable swim distance. Lake Windermere is double that pretty much at 17K. So I was like, right, that'll be year one goal. And that's half of the English channel. So I think set yourself goals along the way that break down the big, hairy, audacious thing you're doing down into smaller chunks. Yes, that seems very um, sensible. As a rough benchmark, I like to use um, in terms of distance per week. I try and at least once a month before the swim, I try and do the distance in a week and then over a weekend. So when I was training for the channel, in I did the channel at end of August. By June, I was trying to swim more weeks than not the whole 30 kilometers in a week. And then in June, I tried to do it in a weekend. So I do the distance over over two days. Often in outdoor swimming, you also have to think about the time it will take you. So some weekends I'd focus on doing the distance side of it. Like, so English Channel is 30K. So I'd try and do 
that over a weekend, which is a lot actually when you think about it. Like I was swimming for more than an office day of work <laughs> and then other, da- other days because I was expecting it to take me like 12 hours of swimming, which it did. I tried to do 12 hours of swimming over a weekend, which is either like two, six hours or a nine hour and a three hour. But you just try and break it down. So mentally for me, I knew within just over 24 hours I could do it. So that's kind of the really hairy big swims um, <laughs> kind of thing. Dream big. If you're going to dream really big, maybe put it over 12 months away so you can staircase up to it. Have little big things along the way. And one of the things I've always wanted to know, and I know it's a terrible cliche of a question, but I genuinely can't get my head around it. Is what's your mind doing while you're swimming for 12 hours? It's a 12 hour swim, but you feed. So every hour or every 40 hours, every, every regularly, wow that's a phrase every (laughs) every regular every so often (laughs) every so often you get food thrown at you so instead of a 12 hour swim I basically had six hours of hour feeds and then six hours of like 45 to 30 minute feeds so you're not on your own in your head for like 12 hours you're on your own for like an hour and I say that's doable in the Bristol channel the first hour was the longest hour of swimming I felt like I've ever done because I normally wear a watch and in the super marathon swims you can't wear a watch so every time my dad reached into his bag I was like is it food time no and so I'd swim like oh my gosh it's, I'm done for an hour and he'd be getting like his phone out or like getting some sunscreen and I was just like oh okay so you just focus you focus on little things like I do a lot of singing I fixate on what I'm gonna eat I think about different things I try and solve world problems I try and solve life problems one of the things we worked on was that okay if like in our repertoire of stuff you think about all different things but in our repertoire we had riddles so when I got a feed my dad would shout a riddle at me and I'd think about that for a bit and at the next feed I'd give him the answer superb honestly a lot of it is just thinking about food and I consider swimming basically like a floating buffet so I've got a box of snacks and I'm swimming and I'll go next feed I'll have a banana next feed I'll have a mini roll I'll have a pork pie in the channel, like, I was swimming and I could smell bacon. So I stopped and went, is that bacon? And they gave me bacon at their next feed. Some some swimmers, and this is why I'm reluctant to call myself an athlete, but some swimmers, like, this is all with alongside, like, a carb nutrition drink to make sure I've actually got the fuel in. But mm-hmm. I use food as a motivator and a distraction. Some swimmers, potentially, who are more organized and dedicated, do have a bit more of an organized feeding plan. But I try and make the food fun because it mixes up the 12 hours, because it's a long time, basically. What do I think about when I'm swimming? Food. Excellent. I will cut this out, but I, uh, I did my master's in gastronomy, so I literally got a master's in thinking about food. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay, not quite literally. I have a postgraduate diploma in gastronomy, because instead of handing in my master's dissertation, I had an anxiety-induced break from adult life and responsibilities. This is not the proudest moment of my life, but, you know, I did still do a lot of thinking about food. To be honest, it's one of the reasons I swim because I, I like I like food um, a lot. And I think I have a big appetite. So I eat and then go, oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll go for a swim and I'll burn it off. And I've really struggled in lockdown because I like the eating and the carbs, but less so the exercising. So there's been a lot of eating and I'm looking forward to doing more of the swimming to balance. I now also have an excuse for adding some lockdown pounds, which are... Um, is the fact that I'm growing a human, which is, I feel like when you're pregnant, anything goes because it's hard. My God, it's so hard. I made my way through many kilo tubs of peanut butter when I was pregnant. So many. 
People were concerned by how many. I've swum through the winter for like four or five years now, but I was always in a wetsuit. And when I was pregnant with my daughter, I went from fitting in my wetsuit quite happily to unable to get it over my thighs by the time I was in the second trimester. This is actually a really important point in that I... I mean, I don't really wear a wetsuit, but I'm struggling in the, in the pregnancy thing and the swimsuits aren't fitting as well as they used to. Like there is not room for much and I'm like halfway through. So I need to find some creative ways to continue swimming and keep some dignity. I'm looking at two pieces, but all but in the terms of maternity swimsuits, they're all really booby and cleavagey. And I feel like if I try and do front crawl, some form of boob will fall out. It's probably quite a niche issue in that having a swimsuit that can fit because boobs grow as well as bumps. But you need some something that's quite supportive, but also boobs hurt as well. So like mm-hmm. it's finding things that like it's the support and also don't make me feel uncomfortable because I what I found in a swimsuit was actually particularly my first trimester when I wasn't really saying anything. I felt so self-conscious because there's nowhere to hide in a swimsuit. Yeah. So I'd like walk to the water hide, like sucking my gut in and quickly shimmying in <laughs> and getting in the water and be like, oh, I can breathe now. But I mean, no one probably noticed, but I think in your head, you're kind of self-conscious because you're kind of processing and also not wearing a lot. Yeah. And I have to say, like, I don't know what I expected. Someone in my head to like point at me and go, you, you've put on pounds and ask me to explain why. But it's weird in your head what your head does. And no one did that. I think it's really interesting in the swimming, recalibrating how I swim. Because I, was, I think I said before, I, I'm very goal-driven. To say I consider myself an athlete sounds very pretentious in my head. But I consider myself an athlete, I guess. And so I like training for things. I like being fit. I like working on fitness and having plans and stuff. And I think this is the first year in like probably 10 years I haven't had a swim race booked this summer. For the best reason. For an amazing yeah. reason. But it's also quite weird. Okay, we got into the long reads here for a bit in terms of pregnancy and post-pregnancy fitness, and I'm skipping over it because nobody needs to hear me moaning about my hip pain. But I do just want to say to any pregnant fitties out there who are counting down to gym day, please just give yourself some time. More than you think you need. Even though your body might feel a bit alien, just remember that you can get back to marathons or whatever it is that you love soon enough. But building a human is hard work, so be kind to your amazing self and let yourself recover gently and in your own time. See, this is really interesting because um, one of the other other strings I've, I've added to my bow in swimming is ice swimming, which is ice swimming is when you swim in the winter, but specifically competitively under five degrees. One of my pet peeves actually is when people say they've gone for an ice swim and they swim when there's ice. No, no, no. Ice swimming is specified and laid out as swimming a set distance under five degrees so i i did the ice champs in 2020 it was one of the last events i did and i did rather well so i was half hoping to join the world championships which are now in february 2022 but the other half of me goes i'm gonna have a baby one i don't know if i'll be selected two how will that work in terms of fitness and so it's it's a weird one being like you know it's not just the pregnancy you're not swimming as much in particularly when Mm -hmm. the pools aren't open. It's the whole life afterwards. You sit and go, I'm going to have to fit training and any competitions and anything around a human and a body that's going through something incredible, but may not be the same for a while. You know, swimming has evolved for me from being, you know, I'm very fortunate that, you know, when I swam with the club, I was training at school, like quite a lot of nights a week, just because I enjoyed it. And then you go to uni and you think you have no time. I don't know why you think you have no time at uni when you have so much time. Mm-hmm. I'd swim my, maybe a couple of nights a week. So that was an evolution. And then you get into the big, scary world of work. And I've had a couple of flexible jobs where I've been able to like sack off work in a lunch break and finish later or start early and 
some in the afternoon. But now I work in more rigid company, which is fantastic for structure. But it's, it's again, another recalibration in terms of, right, how long will this swim actually take rather than how long will it, do I think this swim's going to take? Particularly when the water spots are like 10, 15 minutes away or half an hour drive. If you then have a half an hour swim and a half hour drive home, that's more than a lunch hour. <laughs> or you're getting up really early. I was saying, I was chatting to my husband the other day about it. And he was like, oh, what are your plans for the weekend? And I was like, oh, I'll swim Saturday and I'll swim Sunday. And he was like, yeah, so when are we going to hang out? So do you know what it is? <laughs> when life when you have to balance more of life swimming sometimes takes priorities so when i've been doing big swims i have just swum all weekend but life took a back seat and now obviously i'm in a more structured job and soon family will be more than just me and my husband so again swimming will just rebalance and it's another evolution but yeah. i'm sure it will still be there at some point oh it absolutely will be <laughs> pre-baby head i'm like i can strap a, i can get an old car seat and strap it to a paddleboard That'll be fine. I'm sure post-baby brain might go, that's a bit dangerous, but we'll work it out. Oh, it's fine. You see lots of these kind of things. Maybe not a paddleboard, but maybe yeah, a it's all I, might have to, I bought a, because um, my paddleboard is really heavy and I can't carry it anymore because it's like awkward to pick up and mm-hmm. put my back, basically. So I bought like a pull-along wagon thing that put it in out of the car. So after uh-huh. this, I'm going to go and do adult Lego and like piece together this wagon to carry to my... Because that's... Swim spots are really far away from the car park. Normally, anyway. So like, you have to consider... Car- oh my gosh, the amount of stuff you need for swimming is ridiculous. I find it so funny. Like... That for a sport where, particularly if you're not in a wetsuit, you are wearing very little. You have like <laughs> massive bags of stuff. Oh my God, so much stuff. Towels and spare socks and thermos. Oh my, that's just the start of it. Anyway, back to Joe. Am I right in thinking that you also do a bit of coaching as well? Yeah, I do. So I I started coaching outdoors last summer on under my name sort of thing. I'd done some coaching before for different organisations, but last summer I just fancied been swimming for a long time now and I've done quite a lot of course swims and I'm also a qualified swim teacher so I've got a good grounding and basis in the sport and I was just like I want to help people get in the water I think there's so much information out there which is amazing and I think lots of information is very well intentioned but I, I just wanted to be a source for people in Berkshire to have a way of having knowledge and wealth of experience tailored to their situations because I think that that's what a coach does you know you they sift through this wealth of knowledge and understanding of this fantastically growing sport and tailor it to whatever that specific person's goals and situations are so it's different if you want if you're trick coaching someone for getting into outdoor swimming for the first time to wild swimming for the first time or if someone is a strong swimmer or not a strong swimmer you know there's all these things to work with and also you know different abilities different apprehensions and different goals and it's just I enjoy giving back and it helps me be a better swimmer actually talking to people who have different experiences so I get a lot out of it and I hopefully my clients get some stuff out of it as well. Have you seen a surge of inquiries for coaching over lockdown? Yes (laughs) yes <laughs> basically coaching is not my full-time job coaching is a hobby I do and I love it I love that it's a hobby for me if it was a full-time job I find it too stressful so I, I'm quite protective that I do it maybe a one morning one evening a week and maybe a little bit more ad hoc but I keep it quite limited in terms of the timing I do on it because I've retained the enthusiasm and lack of stress from it and when I first left university I went to be a freelance swim teacher self-employed swimming teacher for like three or four different swim schools and I was just a very stressed out person and to the point that I almost stopped enjoying swimming because I was like, I have to do this class. I have to do this. I can't turn down that shift. I can't do this. And so I like that I, I, I do it as a hobby. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I love 
I think it makes me a better worker in my office job because I've got a creative outlet for my passion. Thank you so much, Joe. That was absolutely fantastic. I think we've all got a lot to think about from that. You can follow Joe on Instagram at Joe underscore swims and things. You can check out her website, swimsandthings.co.uk. You will find the links in the show notes. You can follow Wild Women Pod on Instagram and Facebook. And you can also follow me, should you be even vaguely interested in the contents of my kitchen, at the underscore yellow brawly. Thanks as ever to Mary St. Mary of the Housecoat Project for allowing me to use theme music. Until next time, 